0: Good morning, it's very good to be with you this morning. It's an honor for me to be able to stand before you. And it's my prayer this morning as we go through the lesson that the things, first and foremost, that I say will be true. Secondly, I hope there are things that you can apply to your life, that they'll be beneficial to you. And thirdly, I hope that you enjoy our study. I hope that you enjoy our time together, and I hope that you learn something. This morning, our topic is going to revolve around your physical body. This morning, we're going to be talking about your physical body and and a very specific aspect of your physical body. To introduce our topic this morning, I want to start with some I believe statements. These are statements that I believe, and they're statements that I think that you'll believe as well. Statements like this. I believe that Jesus is the eternal God that lived before we ever existed and that will continue to live forever. I believe that that same God, that same Jesus, made my soul, He made my mind, and He made my physical body to carry out His will. I believe that that Jesus came to live on this earth, and He came and He lived perfectly in His physical body. He knew no sin in His physical body. And I believe that He offered that physical body, He offered his sinless physical body as a sacrifice for sins. To carry out God's will and to glorify God. Do you believe those things this morning? If you believe those things this morning, then it's not a far out idea. It's not something that's a far thought for us to understand that Jesus expects us to appreciate those things. He expects us that because of the way he lived with his physical body, the things that he carried out with his physical body, the way he glorified God with his physical body, we also must glorify God with our physical body. Maybe I would put it like this in an I believe way. I believe that this body, my physical body, your physical body, has been restored by Jesus to be filled with the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, and to pour out that Spirit into the lives of others that I encounter. Do you believe that this morning? If you believe that, then it's not a far statement for me to make that with our physical bodies, we must flee immorality. We must flee immorality in our physical bodies. What am I talking about this morning? I'm talking about the idea that our minds cannot be filled with lust. And that our bodies, our physical bodies, they cannot be used for sexual immorality. That's what the topic of our discussion will be this morning. You know where we're going this morning. The title of our lesson comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be doing quite a bit of reading here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse number 9, the Bible says Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God all things are lawful for me but all things are not helpful all things are lawful for me but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomachs for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And God raised, both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. Now there's a lot of interesting phrasing in the verses that we just read. There's a lot of things that we're going to dig a little deeper to here in just a moment. But I believe that my entire lesson, the things that we're going to talk about this morning, can be summed up in the following verses. Verse number 18, the Bible says, Flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this morning... How do we flee sexual immorality? How do we flee? You say, well, Jacob, that's easy. We set our minds on pure things, and any sexual acts that are outside of the bonds of marriage, they stop. We're done today. You know, I don't doubt that after this, or I don't believe that that after this lesson, someone's going to come up to me and they're going to say, Jacob, you know, I don't think that we need to set our minds on pure things. (laughs) We understand that. Jacob, I don't think that, it, I think it's okay for us to be involved in sexual activity outside of marriage. We know that's not true. We know that, that we can't be involved in these things. And so this morning, our question is not what we should do. We, we all know. We know what we cannot do as Christians. We know what our bodies cannot be used for. But the question is how? How living in this world, how living day to day, can we stay focused? Can we understand and can we have the discipline to control our desire and control our bodies to glorify God? And so this morning what I want to do is I want to go through three different points that I believe can help us understand how we can flee sexual immorality. The first is very, very mental in nature, psychological, if you will. It's something that we have to get through our mind. It's simply this, we must flee arguments We must flee arguments that justify it. Flee arguments that justify it. As we begin to talk about this point, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians, back to our opening text and look at a few things. Now understand that 1 Corinthians, when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he begins to make multiple arguments throughout the book that what they did with their body, what we do with our body matters. It matters what we do with our body. We know this because we can read it throughout the chapters. He talks about having control of our sexual desire. He talks about having control of our hunger. He talks about controlling our tongue, all these physical aspects, because what you do with your body matters. Why would he have to preach? Why would he have to emphasize that what these people did with their body matters? Why would Paul have to preach that to them, or teach that to them, rather? Because there was an idea in Corinth. The Corinthian culture, Gnosticism, you don't have to know what that is this morning. But the culture, this idea, invaded the Corinthian church, or the church at Corinth. And it was the idea that if what I believe in my heart is right, if I have faith and, and my faith is right and what I believe and my heart is okay, then what I do with my body, it doesn't matter. What I do with my body doesn't matter. We know that's not true. <clears throat> and, you know, I've never, I've never been to Greece. I've never been to Corinth. I've never even met anyone from Corinth. But I want you to know I know this idea. I've seen this idea in my life. I've seen this idea in the lives of others. You see, we don't have to be a Gnostic, we don't have to be a Corinthian to understand that this idea is not true. It matters what we do with our physical body. Let's go back to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse number 12. Before we do that, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're reading out of the ESV or the NIV this morning, you're not in trouble, you actually have a leg up. You have a leg up, and I think you'll understand why as we turn and read this together. You'll notice that there, here in the ESV, which is what is on the screen now, there are quotation marks around certain phrases. Quotation marks around certain phrases. Notice that as we read this together. Starting in verse number 12, Paul writes, "'All things are lawful for me, "'but not all things are helpful.' All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do we understand this morning that not all things were lawful for Paul? Not all things were lawful for Paul. In fact, he had just gotten done uh, in verse number nine talking about the things that were not lawful for him. You see, these weren't things, that's not what Paul was saying. He wasn't saying all things are lawful for me. That's what they were saying. That's what other people were saying. He was was saying the idea that, that you're putting forth that all things are lawful for me, that's wrong. That's not true. That's what they were saying. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Modern language, you want to know what the Corinthians were saying? You want to know what this idea in quotation marks is saying? They're saying, God will see past the physical problems that I have in my life because my heart is all that matters. What I do with my body doesn't matter because what's in my heart Is right that's what these men were saying I wonder what kind of excuses do we make this morning what type of arguments do we have in our own minds are they arguments like this I was just gonna look at pornography one time it was just gonna be one time and then I'm gonna be done with it and now you're 30 years old and you're addicted to it is it I was just gonna fool around one time with my girlfriend or with my boyfriend. It was just going to be one time just to see what it was like. Are you making those excuses in your mind this morning? Oh, and by the way, by the way, I'm still going to go to church on Sunday, so it's okay. It's okay. You see, my heart's in the right spot. I'm going to church. But what I'm doing with my physical body is not right. Verse number 13, our next set of quotation marks. It says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Modern language, you know what they're saying? They're saying, leave me alone, Paul. It's just natural. You see, God made my stomach to be filled with food. So obviously, I'm going to fill my stomach with food. Well, God gave my body sexual desire. So obviously, I'm going to fill my body with sexual desire. See, that's the argument that they're making here. Maybe another way they put it is, yes, I have sexual impurity. Yes, I'm using my body for all these impure things. But it's just the way God made me. It's just the way that God made me. Is that true this morning? Did God make us so that our bodies can be filled with sexual desire? I don't think he did. In fact, if we continue reading in verse number 13, Paul reiterates the point. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for the body. Your body this morning is meant for the Lord. He continues making this idea known to us in verse number 19 where he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. This morning, I want us to all come to grips I want us to all be able to to make this statement in our mind that my body, my body does not belong to me. This morning, your body does not belong to you. This morning, my body does not belong to me. My body, your body, belongs to the Lord. Our bodies are meant for the Lord, they're meant to glorify God, they're meant to carry out His will. This morning, I hope that you will flee arguments that justify. I hope that we will quit justifying our sexual immorality in our mind, because folks, we have to get over this very mental barrier if we're going to succeed in fleeing immorality. Now, I've been accused of talking fast in my life. I've been accused of trying to shove a lot of information into a short sermon, and so this morning, I've summarized our sermon into six words. Six words. This morning, you can go home, and if you can remember this, these six words then you can remember what we talked about this morning. Two words for each point. Our first set of words for this point are simply this. No excuses. No excuses. I will make no excuse for sexual immorality in my life. I will not allow the devil to convince me that it's okay to use my body for anything other than glorifying God and carrying out God's will. I will make no excuses. As I said, our our first point, very mental, psychological. Point number two, we're starting to move into something a little more physical, something that involves a little more, a little more action with our body. And it's simply this. We must flee all things that lead to or promote. We must flee all things that lead to or promote sexual immorality. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse number thirteen, a verse that We probably all know by heart. It's a very comforting verse. The Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What is this verse saying? This verse is saying that if sexual immorality is over there, It's right over there and I turn and I truly flee and I run and I get away from it Then god will not allow it to catch me God will not allow it to catch me But you know, there's been times in my life when i've read this verse and i've had this mentality Sexual immorality is right there It's right there and i'm getting closer and i'm getting closer And I say god stop me Grab me by the shirt collar, God. Stop me. And then we fall into that sin. This morning, if we want to flee sexual immorality, we have to turn and go the complete opposite way. We can't toy with it. We can't be close to it. We have to run. We have to turn and run. To further explore this point this morning, I want to turn and read... Out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 7, it's a story that we're all familiar with. It's a story of a young man and a woman. Starting in verse number 6, this is the woman speaking. She says, for at my window or at the window of my house, I look out through my lattice or through my window, some translations would say, and I saw among, listen, I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Folks this morning, if we're going to flee all things that lead to or promote sexual immorality, then we have to flee personal ignorance. We have to flee personal ignorance. We can't say, well, I'm just going to go somewhere and I'm just going to hope it's not there. Folks, we have to know. We can't choose to be ignorant. We can't just hope to watch a movie and hope a scene doesn't come up or hope to turn on the TV and hope something doesn't come up. We have to flee ignorance. What are this guy's odds of morality? The Bible says that this is a young man. He's a young man. He says he's naive. And it says that he's lacking sense. What are this guy's odds of morality? We have to flee personal ignorance. You know, I wonder if this this boy, this young man, would have, if he could be here this morning and tell us what he thought of his current situation. You know what he would say? He would say, well, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. You see, I just, I just didn't know that if I went there, that there was going to be this alcohol there. Or I just, I just didn't know that that person was like that. I just didn't know that if I went into my room alone with my phone, that I would do that. I just, I just didn't know. How many stories of disease, stories of, of teen pregnancy, of broken homes, Start with the phrase, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. Guess who doesn't care? Guess who doesn't care? In fact, guess who loves that you didn't know? Guess who loves that you didn't know that you would do that? Or that that person would be there? Or that you would do those things with that person? The devil. The devil loves that you just didn't know. This morning, we have to flee immoral ignorance. We have to know. We have to know. Continue reading in verse number eight, our story. The Bible says, passing through the street near her corner, and he walks along the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and the darkness. And behold, A woman comes to him dressed as a prostitute and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the public squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him, and she kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence diligently, and I have found you. You see what happens in this story with this woman? What does she do? She gets him with his eyes. She draws him in with the way that she is dressed. He's not guarding his heart. He doesn't know what he's out doing. He doesn't know what he's looking for. Well, then what happens? She begins to touch him. She begins to kiss him. She begins to flirt with him. And this young man is toast. This morning... If you want to flee sexual immorality, then we must flee immoral people. We must flee immoral people. You say, well, Jacob, I'm supposed to help save immoral people. I'm supposed to preach the gospel to immoral people. I'm not talking about the guy at Walmart. <laughs> I'm not talking about the guy who you study with on a weekly basis. This morning, I'm talking about the person who is a risk to your body. A risk to your body. Jude chapter 1, starting in verse number 22, gives us this warning. It says, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, listen, have mercy with fear. Have mercy with fear. Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. This morning, if they are a risk to, the, to your sexual purity in your body... Then have mercy with fear. Have mercy with fear. If they don't respect their parents, if they don't respect authority, and if they don't respect God, and they like you, then you need to flee that person. We have to flee immoral people. Listen to what this woman tells this young man in verse number 14. She says, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. You know what the modern translation for that would be? I'm a Christian. It's okay to come and hang out with me. It's okay to come be alone with me. I've paid my vows. I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. Do you know people like that? Have you been guilty of being that person? I know I have. Yet, the places that they go, the way that they act, the things that they say are not Christian. Folks, we have to be cautious. We have to be careful and we have to know the type of people that we want to be around. We cannot, we cannot be around immoral people whose immorality has a connection to our body you understand that we cannot be around immoral people whose immorality has a connection to our body we have to flee immoral people let's continue reading our story here and touch on one last sub point verse number 16 of proverbs chapter 7 the bible says this is the woman speaking I have spread my couch, some translations would say bed, with coverings, colored linens and Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at the full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Listen to what the Bible says here. All at once, the Bible says all at once he follows her. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Folks, sexual immorality is serious. Sexual immorality led this man, led this kid to his death. It's serious. It's serious. Did you hear how the Bible described what this woman's environment was like? She says, Oh, I have colored linens. It's Egyptian linen. It's going to smell good, it's going to feel good. Oh, and by the way, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get caught. My husband's gone. No one's going to find out about this. I've made this mistake so many times in my life. Do not think that you can self-control your way out of a bad environment. Do not think that you can self-control your way out of a bad environment oh yeah, I'm going to go to this party with immoral people who are doing immoral things, but I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to go on a date with this person who I know has a bad reputation and who I know is going to want to do certain things, but I'm a Christian and I'm not going to do those things. Folks, if we put ourselves in immoral environments, if we put ourselves in a place where we're this close to the sexual sin, you're not gonna be able to self-control your way out of that environment. You cannot self-control your way through a bad environment. This morning, I wanna encourage you, I wanna beg with you to flee all things that lead to or promote sexual immorality. Flee them. Turn and run and get away from them. I told you that we could summarize every point in two words. And so our two words for this point are simply this. No surprises. No surprises. I'll know what's going on. I'll know with whom I'm going to do it. And I will know where I will be at all times. There will be no surprises. I'm going to know those three things at all times. You say, well, Jacob, how can you know? Folks, I can't go eat at a restaurant in Dallas, Texas and not already know the menu because my wife's got it pulled up on Yelp five days before we go. In this modern world that we live in, you can know. You can know what type of person they are to the best of your ability. You can know what type of place it is to the best of your ability. And you can know what you're going to be doing there to the best of your ability. There can be no surprises if we want to succeed in fleeing sexual immorality. Moving on to our final point this morning. You know, I made the comment, the first point was very mental. We have to get it through our head. We have to psychologically change our thinking into making sure that we're not ever going to make an excuse again. I'm not going to make any excuses for sexual sin. The second began to become a little more physical. It required a little more action. I'm not going to put myself in a bad situation. I'm not going to put myself with a bad person. I'm not going to put myself in a bad place. Folks, the third is as physical as it gets. Now, I suspect this morning that there are people here that have been sexually pure their entire life. And I want you to understand, I believe that those people should be put on a pedestal and praised. You are a great encouragement. You're a great influence and you're a great example for me, for my children. And thank you for that. But I suspect this morning that there are people sitting in the audience, that there are people within the sound of my voice that understand this third point all too well. You see, we understand the consequences of sexual immorality. We understand who gets hurt when we choose to fulfill our sexual desire. And folks, this morning, I want you to flee sexual immorality because of the consequences. Flee because of the consequences. There was a man in the Old Testament, a king, in fact, in the Old Testament. He had everything that he ever could have wanted. This man had money, (laughs) Boy, did he have money. (laughs) He had power. Boy, did he have power. He had plenty of women. Boy, did he have women. But this man was out on his rooftop one night, and he looked down, and with his eyes, not guarding his heart, lusted after a woman. He lusted after a woman. He called that woman to him, and he fulfilled his sexual desire in a physical manner This man and woman bore a child This man panicked he had her husband killed he married this woman and then the child died You know King David you know the story of David and Bathsheba you know you know the story very well I want to ask you this morning who was hurt Because of David's sexual sin. Who was hurt? David, first and foremost, hurt God. David hurt God. Secondly, David hurt others. David hurt a lot of people. And thirdly, David hurt himself. David hurt himself. You know, our sin, our sexual sin does the exact same thing to these groups of people that David's sin did. Hebrews 6, verse number 6 in the NIV puts it this way. And who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance to their loss, to their loss. They are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Folks, when we're Christians and we choose to sin, when we choose to go back and forth to the mire, to wallow in the mire, return to our vomit over and over You're driving the hammer, you're swinging the hammer that's driving the nails into the Son of God. Your sin hurts God. You know, in the story of David and Bathsheba, we didn't read it, but you can go through, and you can see God display several emotions. He's disappointed, he becomes very angry, he's even saddened. And we make him feel the exact same way. We make him feel the exact same way. David's sin, David's consequences affected others. In the story of David and Bathsheba, who got hurt? Could you name off the number of people that got hurt? Probably the, the better way to phrase this question is who did not get hurt? Who was not affected from David's sexual desire that he could not control? Because Uriah was killed. David's daughter, years later, was sexually molested by her older brother, who was then murdered by his brother, who was then murdered by one of David's commanders. What about the baby, his other son? He died. What about Bathsheba? What do you think David's sin did to Bathsheba? You think it affected her a little bit? She watched her husband, probably the love of her life, be murdered by this man who'd taken her because of her, his authority. You think it may have affected her a little bit? Folks, our sexual desire has consequences. It hurts people. The next statement that I put on the screen this morning, I want you to think very seriously about. It's simply this. What David, what King David did in private, the things that he did that nobody knew about became the legacy for his family. His daughter, that's sexual sin breeding sexual sin. You see, folks, this morning, what you do in private, what I do in private, it's going to affect your life, and it's going to affect your children. What David did in private affected his family's legacy. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 6 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that each of you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. You see, whenever we don't abstain from sexual immorality, we defraud our brother because we're not thinking about our brother, are we? We're thinking about his, his daughter. We're thinking about his son. We're thinking about his wife. We're thinking about anybody except him. Folks, Our sexual desire this morning will hurt other people. It'll hurt other people. Lastly, David's sin, David's consequences hurt himself. Psalms number 32. This is one of the Psalms in which David laments his sin with Bathsheba. Also another one in Psalms 50-ish. Starting in verse number 3, the Bible says, For when I kept silent, this is David speaking, my bones wasted through wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What does David tell us? He says, all of this sin, all of the pleasure that it brought it all came down to this. I was killing myself. One lustful thought after another, you are killing yourself. David was killing himself. He says that his immorality crippled him. He couldn't move. His joints hurt. It was so heavy on his mind. But folks, I want you to understand that it was David's confession It was David's reconciliation with God that freed him, that made him better. This morning, I hope that you will flee immorality because the consequences are too great. The effects that it will have on God are too great. The effects that it's going to have on your family, on your church family, on your spouse, on your parents. It's too great. And the effect that it's going to have on you, the effect that it's going to have on your mind, the effect that it's going to have on your body, the consequences are simply too great. <clears throat> as we wrap up our lesson this morning, as we wind down, I want to present you with the last two sets of words. The first two were this no excuses. I will make no excuses in my mind. I'm done with it. I'm going to put it out of my life and it's never going to return. At all times, number two, there will be no surprises. I will know where I'm going. I will know with whom I'm going. And I will know what we are going to be doing. And number three is simply this. And I want you to listen closely because it means a lot to me. Never again. Never again. This morning, if you're addicted to pornography, never again. It's not, oh, I'm going to go a week. Oh, I'm going to go a month. Because even if you succeed, you still fail. You understand what I'm saying there? It's never again. This morning, if you're in a relationship with someone, a physical relationship that's outside of marriage, then it stops today, right now. Never again. Never again. Never again. You can go ahead and get your songbooks out this morning. You know, heaven forbid that there's someone here this morning that is struggling with this sin that won't come forward. If you will not come forward this morning then I want you to find someone to talk to. Talk to your parents. Talk to your spouse. Talk to one of the men or women in this church. Talk to an elder. Talk to someone. Because you have to confess your sin to get over it. But this morning, God's desire, the congregation's desire, my desire, is that if you're struggling with this sin, that you will come forward that you will say, today is never again. I'm not gonna do it anymore. This morning, have the courage. If you're struggling with the sin, please come forward as together we stand and sing.